It's Open Mouth Syndrome with Elmo Kirkwood and Derek Bostrom. Jeannie and the kids back at the ranch. They were teaching me about love. Remember where that's from? Yep. <laughs> love dolls, superstars. <laughs> Have you ever seen Wild in the Streets? No. You never seen that one? Uh uh-uh. uh. It's it's about um when they convinced the the government to drop the the uh, voting age to fourteen, and then they elect an eighteen year old president who then puts LSD in the water supply, causing them to control the Congress, and they put all the old people in uh, LSD reeducation camps. Jeez, Louise, when was this movie made? Sixty eight. Oh, so Summer of Love. Summer of Love was sixty seven, but yeah. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah. Let, let me let me have my. Let me have my little foibles when it comes to dates. summers of love and dates on account of that. I was but a fucking tiny preforming semenoid inside of Kurt's ball sack in 67. I would have been just. He wouldn't have had ball sackery at age seven or eight or nine. Or yeah, whatever you're right. <coughs> well, you never know, though. He's, He's quite a man. They're starting to put LSD in the milk. <laughs> well, anyway. Um, Wait, so 67 was the summer of love, right? Yeah. So there was like a couple more shitty summers of the 60s that people had to like fucking live through with this horrible fake hippie idealism that had already jumped the shark or it, no? Had, it, it had jumped the shark by 68. Right. It would have had to have because if you have something that's prominent enough to be labeled as such, right? Then right at that right. point, then it's become part of the absolute lexicon so that squares have found a way to think they understand it. Right. And then you've got the shit heels who are going, wait a minute. Right. Like, I want to be a part of something that's counterculture, but they're shitty because it seems like up to that point, you could probably met. I mean, there was the Charlie Mansons, but you could probably met out uh, 69. Most, of, most of the fake ass hippies, right? Well, here's the thing. The reason it was a summer of love is because the media picked up on it and said, oh, San Francisco is a thing. And all of the San Francisco counterculture people are like, Gird your loins, people. The squares are going to descend on our city and fuck it up. And it, and it did. It's exactly what happened. It became like extreme homelessness, extreme runaway problems. Right, right. Didn't you hear all the songs? They become parts of songs. Like, I'm going to San Francisco. Right. And so they actually held a, a, a wake, which is called the death of hippie. So the summer of love represents the end of that stuff. So I know someone who, uh, his family is old school, long time San Francisco and hearing the perspective of people having grown up generationally in San Francisco outside of anything to do with counterculture, but, you know, there's the liberalism that comes with living in a city like that at those times, but just mostly regular folk. It's interesting hearing those sides of it because it's just a place that people lived like anywhere else that was all of a sudden overcome. Yeah. And that just eats itself alive right away. Well, you know what else happened in 67 out there? No. The Black Panthers rose to uh, ascendancy. Oh, hell yeah. Black Panthers decided they're going to show up at the legislature with their guns to protest gun control. Right. Of course, the only time that gun control really was a thing in this country was when the brothers decided that they wanted guns. Right. And you can see right away how the white people just started to like shit themselves. Oh, they did. When I was a kid... My mom showed me the Mario Van Peebles directed movie Panther about the Black Panthers. Now I'm about 10. Yeah. And I had to stop the movie and ask her, now are these accurate things that happened with the abuse of black people by the white police? Because even though a couple years before that, Rodney King had happened, the way I was raised, I didn't understand that this was a big deal because he was a black guy getting beat up by white cops. I thought it was a big deal that the cops were beating up anybody because I just wasn't, you know what I mean? Didn't have those those points to check from, and but that movie Panther fucked me up because Cindy was like, "Yeah, that's how police treat black people still." And I was just like, I remember I told my mom that night, "I hate the police," which is something that I do and I should, and that's totally a smart, viable way to view authority. And if you want to conflate what I say, police and policing, with the human beings that do it, now that says a lot about what policing really is. I'm saying it as a concept, but if these people own that concept, like it's everything about who they are, right? And it's how they lead their lives, then it pushes society into this 
police worship thing where we have allowed all these atrocities to happen and then cops exist on this fucking pedestal as people outside of their profession. You mean heroes? Yeah, heroes. <laughs> that has nothing to do with me. I just think policing is fucked in this country and that yep. there could be some things that you could really easily do to fix that. I think it's other people's conflation with my saying policing, with my seeing that police officer is a human outside of the job. That's on you. And if you see it that way, that means you know that's what it is. So you're making my fucking point for me. Yep. All right. Enough about Mario Van people. So uh, last week when uh, when we got together, we both were dicking around. So I had a, a bunch of time to kill. So I went to the uh, history museum up the street, uh, used their toilet, and then took a little nap while waiting for you to finish what you were doing. And there was an election there. Ooh. Anyway, I come to find out today that part of what was being elected on was whether or not to allow the coyotes to build an arena. Oh, an arena here in Tempe for like some ungodly amount of money that we get to pay here. We here in Tempe get to pay for. No, no. It was actually not financed by government money. However, they were going to get a thirty-year tax break. Oh, anyway, so someone still fills that in somehow. So anyway, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. No, no arena for us here because that twenty-year-old one they have in Glendale. Is I know. Enough. I was going to say, well, hockey is such a concern here in Phoenix that the one that they have on the other side of town is not good enough. We need to build another one. I saw one. a hockey game once in seventh grade. There's this kid I knew for a hot minute. His dad was the manager of a grocery store, so they got perks here and there. Yep. And uh, we got to go see the Coyotes, and we got to sit front row, basically. That's all I remember. Well, that's the thing. When uh, when I started going out with a woman who liked hockey, I was like you. I was watching the Suns, who we'll get to in a minute. <laughs> it took me a long time to, uh, I mean, a long time, decades, to reprogram my brain to understand hockey. And oh, it, yeah. I, and now I understand hockey, and I, when I watch basketball, all I can think of, it makes my knees and my hips hurt to look at it. <laughs> it's slow hockey. Yeah, it's, it's without it's, a beating stick. Well, yeah. I like that hockey has a beating stick and then stabbing shoes they, and then punching fists. You can throw your shoulder into somebody's head and kill them that way, too. Oh, it's it's magical. I like the violence of it, and I like how it's just this accepted thing, and it shows you how soft other pro sports are, especially the NBA, when I, which I love the most. But my goodness, these dudes are such fucking babies. Like, yes. I'm old enough to have grown up starting watching basketball in the late 1980s, but predominantly in the early 1990s which had already softened up a bit, but compared to now, yeah. holy shit, like these dudes used to just throw elbows in each other's faces and it wasn't even a thing. And you had some big hick like Larry Bird that would tell everyone to go fuck themselves and then hit them. And even peaceful Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is hitting people. And you've got like that horrid giant honky that played in Detroit, Bill Ambeer, and he's hitting <laughs> everybody. That dude, he's Bill Ambeer is impressive because he's about seven feet tall, right? But he's a rich kid. I can't remember what it was, but his father's some big business to do, right? And somehow he spits out this ugly kid that is the size of a house, right? And who actually is a viable ball player in one of like a pretty heavy era of ball play on a team with that Isaiah Thomas and Dennis Rodman when they're just kick-ass, nasty, winning titles. It's, it's pretty wild. That that end of the 80s thing, early 90s. That's when, when I was it watching. segued over from Lakers or Showtime Lakers and, you know, the Boston Celtics. And then it was like this little thing that happened in between when Chicago took over the 90s, but when it was Detroit. Yeah. And you think about that, and that's, that's almost like a lost legacy that could have been because people just kind of ride it off, right? Even though these dudes won two years in a row, and it was on the heels of legacy teams coming and going. I, I like that. Anyway, the Suns were eliminated this week as well. <laughs> well, it's funny. Last year, uh, this week last year, we were in Austin, Texas. Yes. And the same deal was going down. And we were on tour. And I actually went down the street to a sports bar and nursed a, a shot of whiskey with a bunch of people who were not supporting my team and watching my team win. And I remember coming back <laughs> with love in my heart, going, I'm in love with the world. My team is advancing. And you were like, well, my team was just eliminated. And now, <laughs> here we are. Both of us, our teams have been eliminated. And my heart is filled with hate, man. Hate. 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 Um, I don't feel like I've been given anything else other than a lifetime of the bait and switch with the Phoenix Suns, which I kind of expect, right? Like, 
first of all, it really reeks of Phoenix to me. Like, we can do it. We can. Well, we could. <laughs> I never said we were gonna. I just said we can. The only time we won is when we had the opportunity to kick New York when they were down right after uh, 9-11. Yeah, well, that, they also deserved it. They were way too good for their own good. We had two Hall of Fame pitchers. We had Luis Gonzalez when he was just kicking butt. We had a whole great team, and the city really rallied around baseball in a way they hadn't in a few years preceding since we got you know our expansion yep. team. and That was pretty cool, actually. I remember people were really into that because for once... Now it's been like almost yeah, 20-something years, but... It's just in the same sort of deal. Uh, right afterwards, we collapsed. The whole thing, the team Right was like, away. It was awesome. Randy Johnson had great years preceding that. Yep. The big unit, but that's it. But thing about baseballs, I stopped watching that in the early 90s as I got into basketball. And uh, at the time, it was still like the fumes of the great American pastime. Oh yeah. But now I've been looking at it a little bit and I realize, Oh, it's coming to the modern world now. And they're all out of their fucking minds as well. And I'm like, Oh, baseball. Yeah. Oh God. I just love it when they fight. Ah, it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. I like seen. watching them race at each other. Yeah. full Speed. First of all, like, yeah, I know it's a running game, but it's like, you're going to shoot your wad running 40 feet at this guy when you can just casually walk over there and punch him in the jaw. Yeah, you but got mo- a bat. But mostly, <laughs> but most of it's just so we get to watch them run at each other. That's what I've always thought. When you ever see, it's like, there was a baseball fight. I see two dudes run at each other. Then I see all their little friends in their tight pants <laughs> skip out there, start a big mosh pit. Um, baseball, I watched the thing on, what's it called? The... Uh, Bryant Gumbel's Real Sports, they were talking about, this is several years back, about how baseball needed to find a way to appeal to the modern sports. Well, they figured it out. (laughs) Yeah, because they were like, this is something that's just like rooted in like old timiness. And you've got these teams full of people who like old timey Americanism doesn't particularly appeal to. (laughs) And that was the whole point of it. And they're like, what is, who are they? Who are they trying to appeal to anymore? These dudes that are like 80 years old who grew up on the game, they're like, they need to appeal to kids. Problem was, is they had a good union, so they were demonized for a while because they were getting what they wanted. And then that rolls right into the steroids period, which was an outcrop of their being demonized for having a successful union. And then comes the, what I would call the mullet era. (laughs) (laughs) And now they're all like kids that are, you know, young enough to be my great grandchildren. And not only are they fighting with each other, but now the umpire is a part of the game. The showboating umpire is awesome. <laughs> she ate a lot in boxing yep. with the referee. And it's just like, oh, dude, go fuck yourself. Like, there has to be a sporting commission, one, to line people's pockets, but two, so the real pussies out there will let you exist so we can pretend like there's anything safe about any of this. So, right? It's so we don't have to go to Cuba to have the game. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I like that the, the boxing referee thinks he exists in any world other than to ruin the fun. Yeah. All you do is make this suck. What I want to see here is this dude that grew up with nothing, right? Who was oversized or just a nasty little fucker. And someone was smart enough to go, we can tether this animal just enough to milk a couple <laughs> bucks out of it. And I want to see the ones who are vicious enough, but who took the advantage that they got from being scouted out young and what it gave to them outside of like the lifestyle that they were born into, which is just a little bit of access to education and shit. Cause they're not dumb at all. And the smart ones are the most evil ones. And they just go in there and they fucking tear people in half. And for me, who doesn't necessarily <laughs> like watching violence, but I like watching organized, smart one-on-one violence. I like watching the chess match of it. Cause I like seeing someone decide what ways they can utilize their brutality. It's just the funniest thing in the world because it's all you watch. It's like watching a political debate. It's the exact same thing because you're watching people just cess it out. And it's like, okay, am I going to use my real smarts here? Or is it just trickery? Is it just wordplay? Like, what works best in this moment? I like watching people punch each other in the head. You used to pretend that it was all about the game, right? Now everybody's playing to win. Oh, yeah. Always, it's just a game. We play to play. And winning is, you know, that was one thing. And then there's the advent of the participation trophy, <laughs> which, which actually has the opposite effect. And now people are like, oh, fuck no. I put Biff Jr. in there to win a trophy legitimately. 
the guys at work won't think my pecker dangles as close to my knees as I've made them believe if Biff Jr. doesn't come home with his, you know. That leads us to the other sport, which is the parent participation side of it. <laughs> That's the best thing ever. I can't see. If I had my kids in sports, I think the most effective for them and for me method of dealing with that would be non-participation in all ways, right? Like, right. as a kid, when I did martial arts... There's no fucking parents watching. There's nobody fucking cheering me on, right? That doesn't exist there. It is wholly like, even as a kid, you realize if you want to succeed at this and you want to get better, it's about getting inside yourself. Because yes, there's other people there that you're doing it with, but it's absolutely you. It's not a fucking team sport, which was good. And there's no goddamn parents there with a fucking banner making me feel like a shithead trying to fucking qualify my existence by their participation in it. Fuck that. Then you've got two adversaries. Oh, good Lord. And I mean, every kid does like it to a certain degree to have their parents be proud of them and shit like that. And yeah. to a certain extent, <laughs> I guess you're right. Because I didn't. I was about to say... I like it, but not in that way. I don't need congratulations on dumb shit like that. Well, you you uh, uh, you work with your father. Do you feel like his congratulation is like? Oh, I'm there to I'm there to ruin his life. <laughs> yeah. I've existed for one sole purpose for nearly forty years now. I've been there for a long time just to rub it in his fucking face that ha 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 you existed. And you existed to the point where you procreated. You made you? a big mistake, buddy. Aren't you, aren't, aren't you a perfect little pillar of humanity? You made another one. Actually, I will admit, I do like it when he likes what he does. but It, it just keeps like, things quiet backstage. Uh, well, I like it when, if it's a music I like, right? And it's a person that made it who everyone else kowtows to. If they go, oh, hey, I like this thing you did. Which a lot of has to do with... No one's saying anything. Yep. I figure if they say something, every once in a while, if I do something that's flashy enough, it'll fucking garner some fucking acclaim. But I don't ever think of it like, Dad thought I did good at all. I'm like, oh, cool. The other guys like what I'm doing. That's good. That Because that means I can get off on this. Or I can stop doing it immediately. The second I hear that it's liked, I realize that I've jumped the shark. And then it's, fuck you. How dare you? So we go 180. <laughs> the, the important thing is that we say nothing about it. Of course. You got Chris says too much, right? Sometimes, oh, pal, that was really great, pal. First gig I ever do with Meat Puppets is Fayetteville, Arkansas. In any case, right before we start to play, that louse, Chris, ladies and gentlemen, Kurt Sonoma Kirkwood, first show with the band. On stage. Yeah, on stage, before I even get to play a fucking note, dude. You don't need to, like, way to fucking kick me in the back of the knee right as I'm walking on stage. That's what I thought. And I understand. Whatever. Just let me exist. The proof's in the pudding. Right. I don't need a goddamn disclaimer, right? I don't need to be prefaced with anything, let alone <laughs> a quality fucking tag or whatever. Like, this is grade A right here, baby. Because that's all it really says to me. It's like, this like kind of like, here's who this is. So treat it like this. I'm like, and this sneaky son of a bitch must know this too. Because the second you give them that, it's not like they're like, let's lift them up. They're like, well, now the tomatoes will be aimed solely at stage left. <laughs> Hey guys, are you tired of ads that claim to be targeting you algorithmically, yet leave you vaguely unfulfilled as a consumer? Are the ads that intrude upon your content feeds making you feel not sufficiently seen? Maybe it's time you tried our advertisements. This is our promise to you. All ads for Meat Puppets and Meat Puppets adjacent products will be 100% of interest to all Meat Puppets fans. Swing on over to themeatpuppets.com store for information on how to find records, t-shirts, audio downloads, and other crazy shit, and see if you don't agree. So uh, getting back to the sports thing just for a minute, because I'm not sure I've covered this. I'm not done with it either. In my understanding, the same thing that happened to my team as what happened to your team, which is to say we bulked up on like ringers that were supposed to actually get us to the promised land. They all shat the bed on us. And the day after they fired the coach because you're stuck with these ringers once you've given them their contracts and they're not movable. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like we've been doing that for a while. We've been we've been stacking up. So whatever, five six years ago, we got the number one draft pick, right? Yep. Instead of taking Luka Doncic, we took DeAndre Ayton, which is fine. He's a good he's a good team player. He's not going to be a star like Luka, but that doesn't matter. That's neither here nor there. But then we get real lucky. Chris Paul, who's a veteran, comes around but starts playing really good again. So then we think to ourselves, this isn't quite good enough. Let's get. <laughs> What, 10 years ago was the most coveted blue chip outside of LeBron James, and that's Kevin Durant, who's arguably a better basketball player in periods where they played together than LeBron James. 
but not, but yes, right? It's yep. all in context. Yep. That's an amazing basketball player. But you were talking about a dude that can't stay healthy, right? Because look at him. He's just bird-shaped, dangly thing. And God damn, he's fucking amazing. And we have really compiled a great team. We cut out some really good young players. We probably shouldn't have to get these stars, but whatever. That shit happens. But look, look where it gets you. This is a, a team that still can only get so far against teams that are just better. My team is soft. That's that's the problem with my Your team. Your team's the Rangers? Yes. Yeah. yeah. They're soft. Well, you're talking about a bunch of people that act tough. The thing about them is <laughs> is they um they retired in New York so that they could party. They can't wait for the game to end so they can go out and and hang out with uh, celebrities. C plus list celebrities. They hired That's the Patrick hockey celebrity. Kane, who is like was great with Chicago like and it was known that he needed hip surgery. <laughs> um, well, that 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 brings us to another great sporting phenomenon, which of course is bare knuckle boxing. We got to figure that's going to come to this country eventually. It's here, is it? It's here, it's here. And so there's BKFC, which is the biggest uh, promotion so far. And what they've done is they've taken like old boxers or a lot of recently, recently, <laughs> recently left the UFC or Bellator MMA fighters. So that's what they're making their hog off of. And uh, you've got people that literally just retired, not even retired, but lost their contracts with the UFC. So they're viable and young. They're just not fighting for the top promotion. And BKFC comes and dangles real money in front of them comparatively to a lot of like regional circuit shit. Like, so they're getting paid. And a great health plan, I oh, hope. Yeah. The thing about the bare knuckle with the way these people do it is like it looks nastier because they open each other up, but they're hitting each other a lot less hard. Yeah. Because they're not wearing gloves. You know, the glove is there to protect your hand mostly, right? right? right so right. people are punching the shit out of each other with those. But it is pretty wicked. And now what they've done is this dude that just retired, who's an MMA guy, Jorge Masvidal, he has taken bare knuckle MMA and got that sanctioned in Florida. So now you're doing gloveless mixed martial arts, which honestly is pretty fucking bitching. If you think about it, if you like that kind of shit, like it's like, let's let these fuckers fuck each other up. Like, cause it's like the Iron Man competitions, right? In the meantime, Tempe votes down uh, hockey and we may end up losing hockey altogether. Although the NHL is definitely going to attempt to see if they can figure out something in phoenix and scottsdale where you think you know phoenix and scottsdale they're the ones who should be paying for hockey glendale tempe why meanwhile the legislature decides they vote that says that scottsdale has to give those people outside of its city limits water you see that one have you, have you followed that story i have not please edify me i need to hear this about is this a pretty funny story and uh, anyway in Scottsdale, there's this whole area north of Scottsdale. You know where the casino is there Absolutely. on the way out to Payson? Absolutely, yeah. And you go north of there, and there's all these people who live outside of Scottsdale. In an right, so they're in county land, basically. In right? an unincorporated area, right. right. And a lot of these people have been, first of all, they got money. Because well, those are really nice houses. If out you there. like that sort of thing. But there's also, <laughs> there's also hor not horse ranches, but like. I know what you mean. Horse, you know, expensive horse people with their horse businesses. With what they call ranches here, with their little, it's my ranch home. Yeah, it's a ranch home. It's ranch it's home. not just ranch somebody. It's not just somebody who has a horse and enjoys it. It's somebody who's like trying to make money out of like breeding horses, expensively. But they like to be outside of the city because that way they don't have to pay taxes because they don't like the government, of course. <laughs> And also the realtors have lied to them about uh, what they can expect out there. Right, as in growth and such. Right, because they don't have any water. <laughs> what they had to do, like have tankers come out and fill their, their cisterns and whatever. And these guys, they don't have the water anymore either. The places that are, they're getting their water from, they can't get. And Scottsdale is not giving them water. They're outside of Scottsdale. They don't pay Scottsdale taxes. They specifically are out there to try to skirt their responsibilities as members of the tax base. Yeah. And now they're like going, well, fuck that. We don't have any water. You have to so, give them so to they, us. So they want, they want to take from what they won't give to, essentially. Is what you're well, that's me. certainly one school of thought. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but they've, they've been protesting about it. And, you know, the same legislature who says all of these homeless people need to get chased off of um, downtown so that the sandwich shops can stay open. Right. Are also uh, forcing Scottsdale to give the rich people their, their water <laughs> at reasonable rates. What are your thoughts on that? Do you do you want to give these folks water or do you want to watch them wither? Well, it's funny uh, you should say that. These people out in uh, outside of the land, they literally are taking their clothes into town to, to wash them at the laundromat. They don't have water. 
Right. Uh, I have water. Yeah, you live in the... In, in, the, in town, yeah. and I'm not interested in... Uh, I don't want to think about the government to the point of uh, really having an opinion about it. I'm, I'm about uh, the path of least resistance and uh, taking care of my own shit. This makes me think of a young Derek Boston, early 20s, mid-20s, and, and someone sitting you down and having a piece of paper and pointing their finger at it, and it just has a list of all these things that you're supposed to care about and that now you need to think about. And I think about a young Derek Boston looking at this. It took a while for me to learn that uh, I had finite resources and that I needed to cut my losses. <laughs> but when I was a young person, I thought that I was allowed to think whatever I wanted. Yes. And then I realized, well, I can think whatever I want, but I can only do what I can do. This is the matriculation from idealistic youth into... Curmudgeon. Well, yeah, but it's just responding to the reality you're confronted with, right? So like, what happens when you get old, suddenly you're like... The buck stops here. If you had a lot of money, I could see where you'd pretend to give a shit enough to be like, I'm going to enact some change, right? No, 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 no. The reason I don't care about the water situation <laughs> is because I only focus on the change I can enact. Well, that's a change that would do a lot of people's That's good. what I think. I remember in the 90s, Arby's had an ad campaign that said, different is good. And yeah. I really loved that any sort of social concourse or any sort of social anything in regard to change, was being spearheaded by Arby's. Right. <laughs> I was just like, whoa, different is good. And I can, I can imagine now, Marjorie Taylor Greene would insist that that ad campaign was trying to convince our children to become homosexuals. People are fucking crazy. They used to be super crazy, and now the super crazy exists, where that chimp with a suit, Ron DeSantos, is allowed to say anything about anything. We're talking about Florida now, though. DeSantis, I've been to Florida. I've been there, too. and There's a lot of mosquitoes there. <laughs> I'm saying that long before there was crazy humans, there were mosquitoes there, which would have kept me away. In any case, I just... The craziness that people uh, ascribe to just everyday things is fucking awesome. It shows you that perception is reality, is really just being abused to the point of being like, well... I perceive your blue jeans as a threat and an affront to my entire way of living. So we're enemies and you're a homosexual. You know, the, 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 the Soviets used to consider jeans to be a threat to their way of life. That makes sense, though, for them. Crap. Where was, where was I going with this? Before I absolutely came up with a knife and hijacked that entire conversation. See, what happens is I'm like someone in a dark alley and you're the Wayne family walking home from the theater <laughs> And out I come and I go, give me all your money, bitch. And you, get, you go, little Brucey, get behind me. But there's nothing you can do because I'm hellbent on murder. Yeah, but you're going to just end up turning me into somebody who's trying to affect change. Yeah, but so am I because I become the Joker after that. We're both affecting change. You know what you're doing? You're being reactionary as Batman, which is weak. I'm aware. I am taking initiative as the Joker, which is strong. It's funny you should say that. You talked about Young Bostrom and his list of, of uh, moralistic imperatives. Oh, uh, yes. It was my uh, reading of Superman comics that suddenly made me realize. It made me turn. I was like, wait a minute. I agree with everything Luther's doing here, and Superman's a jerk. He is a jerk. He's an enabler. If it weren't for Superman, the, the Metropolis would have to build their own new police stations and throw out their own baseballs. Well, wait, when I was a kid, my friend Zach Gonzalez, we were like nine or eight or something, probably like nine, and we were swimming in this pool. And he was like, hey, I'm a superhero. Whoops, I just killed a bunch of people, but that's okay. And I was like, oh, shit. By definition, you're the hero. Yeah, you're the superhero on top of that. Not just a hero, but a super one. And I remember me thinking about that, and I was like, that's hilarious. The superhero kills people, but it's okay because they're collateral damage. But beyond that, he's just decided that it's this one city in this one country and fuck everybody else. So this alien comes to Earth and wages war on everyone except for this one little place. Right, because he was right. he grew up there, and that's all he knows. It shows you that despite his what he should have is this worldly view, he doesn't. It's myopic, just like any other American. It's hero. because in spite of his all of his powers, he was still raised by mosquitoes, and he's got a mosquitoes mentality. He does. He so he's basically, holy shit! I'm having a moment here. Superman is an immigrant. Right. He migrates to the country, and despite anything else. His sole loyalty is to America. Right. Oh. That's the currently accepted subtext. 
The Superman story is the story of the assimilation of the immigrant into Metropolis. Absolutely. Well, so the way I see this now is that your modern day Kal-El is Trump Jr. Right. There was a time when they tried to paint it like that, like the Krypton was Trump world. And then they sent him over here and through the miracle of growing up in Kansas with a couple of of farmers. Western Americanism. He was was, um, made whole and then he became a good man. I know that that's so obvious, the point of it. But you don't actually read comics or yeah, go I've to never, the movies. Yeah, the movies I've never really paid attention to. I've just never thought about it at all other than it's kind of stupid. It is. like, And I like comic book shit well, and superhero shit to a degree. But now that it's phrased like that, it's funny because I grew up in a totally different time. But when that would have come out, what that is, if you can think critically, is really obvious. Superman is pretty much unreadable right now to yours truly. But that's good. <laughs> Eudaimonia. It can be defined as a feeling of fulfillment derived from the pursuit of well-reasoned action in service of one's potential. Or something like that. Better to let the music do the explaining. Oh, I forgot. Music never explains. Recorded live over a few days in June 2023, Best Behavior is a collection of seven tracks improvised by Chris, Derek, Elmo, and Ron of the Meat Puppets. The piano-driven instrumental selections touch on free jazz, psychedelic jam, funk, fusion, prog, ambient, and the stylings that are uniquely their own sound. Best Behavior by the Eudaimonics is now available on Bandcamp. All proceeds go towards us being able to continue making music to share with a lot of you. Head on over to bostwood.bandcamp.com and see what you think. We hope you dig what you hear. Well, I wanted to um, throw a little red meat at the average uh, Meat Puppets fan by reminding them how different sports is from being in a band. And the reason that it doesn't matter, or does, is that we are on a team, but it's not a team sport. In fact, I remember specifically, it was in 1982, coming off stage... And Chris is all pissy as often he often was because it's very important that Chris gets his thing on he needs stage. He right? his nut. Yeah. But this was one night uh, when he didn't have fun. And of course, Kurt and I were both like, what? And I realized, oh, that's the problem with, with art is there's no winners and losers. We think it's about winning, but actually it's about uh, designating the loser. That's what we really want in our sports. I like that. I like to know who the loser is. Yeah. It's, and it's, especially when I know it's not me, because otherwise I wouldn't be able to tell. Well, you know, the best way not to lose is to not play, which gets us back to rock and roll, which um, doesn't provide any winning or any losing, which makes certain people very uncomfortable. Well, of course it would, especially it makes a lot of the people who are involved in it most intimately uncomfortable, Definitely. which I like the best. You know, you might consider like the careering types, right? But it, it rings the same of any jock mentality, right? To them, it's like the fuck you, the finish line is where we're getting at and fucking everyone else be damned when there's that other whole section of it, which is just like... God, I love it when they lose. That's what we got here for. And in fact, in the instances where other people might, their perception would be, oh, you've lost, whatever the fuck that means. It's when I feel <laughs> You're like fired. I've, I've won the most. You know what I mean? I'm like, no, I feel the best now. Like... The last thing I was trying to do was appease whatever the hell you thought it was supposed to be. And the fact that you thought, that you thinking something <laughs> up, something, someone who's not all the way involved in it, thinking something up, that makes perfect sense. But when you start to buy your own hype or believe your own bullshit in that context. I won the game. Right. No, you think you won the game. You actually <laughs> it's lost. Amazing. Yeah. Well, that's what I love about the... Uh, big sporting events is when the person who loses, that's the people that they will show. Because they're all like going... Blub, 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 blub. And then they make him go come out and shake hands. Oh, I love that the best, too. They take people who are in a very sensitive moment and force them to feign humility. And when they don't, they're like, look at him. He acts like a child. Look at the childish behavior. We pay him millions yeah, of dollars exactly. to do this. And now he's not acting the way we said. Meanwhile, <laughs> the fans of the losers will go out and wreck shit. And the winners will wreck shit. They will both wreck shit because the reaction to winning and losing is the same thing. Wanton destruction. Because all it is is an excuse. It was actually difficult when we were first, well, not for Kurt, who never gave a fuck, but it was difficult for Chris. It was a little difficult for me because shit flows downhill. So if Chris didn't have a good show, that was going to be my problem. And it was not only was it your problem, it was your fault. It was my fault. Oh, yes. So, uh, so it took me a long time to realize that uh, we weren't going out there to do anything. And that was like glorious. Yeah. Of course, in, in Japan, they love it when they play to a tie. Right. Do right. they not? So right. this is what I hear. I've never <laughs> been there. Well, when we're, um, when we're playing, specifically me, it's very non-musical. Yeah. Every night it's fucked up in a different way. And the next night 
as much as you'd like to avoid it being fucked up the way it was last night, and you may succeed in that, it's fucked up in a different way. Yes. So I'll look over at your dad, and he'll be cross-eyed and confused and looking like he has to pee. And Ron's <laughs> over there in his own freaking head. And Chris is like pretending he's having a good time by smiling at me. And uh, you're just like going, you old man, I'll kill you all if you give me half a second. Yes. It took me the longest time to realize, like, for instance, you can't see on stage. Right. So you'd be looking over at me, and I'm like going... What's he looking at? And Ron will be over like going, all right, Bostrom, we're going to play it exactly like we did on the record, right? And I'll be like going, hey, Ron, check this out. He and I like have our little parts we've worked together, and I love fucking him over right. on those. Yeah, most of the time I like to do that because like, okay, this time tonight it's going to work. And it worked the last three nights. Yep. But tonight I'm not feeling it, and I'm going to fucking do something totally different. Yep. So he'll start giving me our little looks at each other, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to really fuck with him. And I'm giving him back, like, here we go, we're about to do it, and then just turn around and play whatever I want. So he's sitting there going, his muscles and his fingers are making him play it, but his brain's going, oh no. And I'm like, ha ha, learned musician. Well, he thinks he's teaching us, too, because that's just his nature, right? That's his fallback. He thinks he's like going... All right, now, you've learned this thing that I showed you last night, right? And you're like, yeah, I learned it to the extent that I'm not going to do it tonight. Because I am also want to teach. That's another one of my hang-ups. So I'll like go, yeah, I learned that part, and I'm going to up the ante on you. Do you understand? And sometimes, well, sometimes he pretends like it was a mistake. <laughs> so Ron, the teacher, really lives into that. I see teaching as that I'm teaching you, but I'm learning every day. <laughs> right. shit the teachers well, always say to like the parents at the beginning of the year, I feel like I learn more from my students than oh, they learn that. from me. No, no, Ron, I'm here to promote chaos. Yes. And and it's terrible when the drummer is trying to promote chaos because he's supposed to be laying down the beat. You're you, supposed to be the anti-chaos, yeah. but you are too. So, But I, I think, see things and then I go, like, go, this needs to happen. I think that you've actually found an interesting balance between being the anti-chaos and the chaos you play it really simply so that you're open to the to um to like contingencies i think that's what makes you the the you of a drummer to where someone who's not paying enough attention could listen to certain stuff and go oh it's simple because they like neil peart right but if you've got a, if you've got a brain on your fucking in your head you listen to it and you go oh this isn't simple this is surreal if it's not simple then everybody's going to be spending too much. And this is the way Kurt is. It's not like I need to play simple, though I do. It's like he needs me to play simple because if I deviate, he looks back at me with absolute terror on his face. Yeah. Terror and resentment. Because well, that means then that he doesn't have a solid canvas right. to fucking ski across. And I get that. Like, dude, you all need that. Oh, Especially totally. in a five piece when I'm playing the least. That's any anytime I listen back like and I hear something that's extraneous, I go, I see how I put my own expectation on that. And I can hear the way we just lost six or seven ideas that would have been there if I hadn't have misread this moment. So I just try to keep it super simple so that we're open to like getting totally out there. And sometimes it works fantastically. And sometimes I can hear it when it's happening. Like we had these little jam parts. Like when we did the, the jam parts in Santa Fe was, was great. It's like I could hear everybody interacting. And then I was like trying to explain that to Kurt. And he was like, what? I was playing lead guitar. <laughs> yeah. You know what, Santa Fe, real quick, you mentioned that show is funny in particular, Lost, because that whole show for me was lost. Was pretty lost, oh, dude, was which great. was fun. That was the one where I turned to you and Ron, and I'm like, uh oh. Yeah. Because all of a sudden I tried to play a, a hard riff. Yeah. I tried to let muscle memory do it and realized, oh, we're past that because I'd had too many shrooms. I'd been eating them since before soundcheck. So I was fucking ripped by the no, time it was we great played. i watched you come on during uh, dusty notes yeah that's when i turned to you guys and i'm like oh geez wow well that song was is not the right one to do when you're flying that's part of the set that's supposed to be reassuring to those people in the audience that don't want to hear the jams and that are confused about what band they came to see yeah they're like wait this is a two and a half minute song that i just listened to for nine minutes and it's you know jams are gratuitous i understand that but that's part of when we're without a net that's right. the part. It might not be interesting for every member of the audience, but it's real interesting when you hear something that wasn't there before. Right. And if you're familiar with the band and you catch us bouncing around with each other and everybody kind of figures out their own shit at the same time, which is going to happen. It's just a matter of timing and chance, right? But it will happen where at the same time, everybody kind of like figures out who the fuck they are in this jam well, simultaneously, the whole jam figures out what it is. And some of those, like, are bullshit, but when they're good, 
even me who played on it, I wait a long time to go back and listen. And there'll be times where I'm just going, God damn, that is so cool. I cannot believe that that's just ad hoc. How the fuck? And then I remember like, oh yeah, but like this exists. This yep. is something that people can do, but to be able to do it for real is fucking wild. Especially when you're us and you don't go out on the road anywhere near as much as you should. And of course, when you do go out that long, it stops being that good. Oh, there's no way that can sustain. Yeah. When we were out in Europe, that was us getting to the point where we could almost like do it. And we've been out in the United States fucking around and that was fun. And then we get out there and it's like, oh man, now we're really grinding. Now it's really painful. Now the, the lack of sleep, the nightmarish food, the terrible, um, <clears throat> just everything. Then you, you come back to the music after a couple of days and you realize, oh, it's gotten really good while I wasn't paying attention. Right. And then the end of that tour at that festival in Spain, where it was just like everything comes to a head and it's the perfect like grand finale. And the right? two shows before that were so piss poor. About the worst of the tour, yeah. That there, there was that crazy church we played in in Norwich. We were out of it. Yeah. The German show was excellent. I'd never been there, right? And I'd been over to Europe, but I'd never been to Germany. Yeah, and everyone was always like, get ready. These people are rude. <sighs> They're the coolest people of anywhere we went. By far, the most friendly, without getting in my fucking face, just to straight up just like, oh, wow, how easy to relate to. And then they loved the gig. And beyond that, I thought that when we played uh, the Nine Pins and there's the extended Ron doing his little Oompa shit in the beginning, they started to freak out. (laughs) The the Bavarian becomes very real in them. And all of a sudden, they're like polka dancing. Uh People... Which is something that we've always noticed is when you go places regionally and you bust out the roots music that might appeal to them. It's like playing in Kentucky. You play country, but you go to Germany and you play polka and they polka dance and they're fucking getting into it. They're good at it. And they're really good and they're (laughs) keeping time. And you can see all of a sudden the red in their cheek starts to come out even more and they all become more cherubic. And then when the show ends, they applaud and they leave. Right. But it's like their own version of lycanthropy, except they don't become werewolves. They become classic Bavarian German people from the mountains that I imagine in my head, which is probably nothing what they were really like. But I think of the little hats and later hosens, and I think of dancing, I think of round faces and, and red mountains. cheeks. They're also really amazing mountains. Yeah, beautiful. I would love that. I have friends that would go there who would save up their money and go over there and live cheap and stuff and just send me pictures back. It's of gorgeous. These mountain towns they're in. Going, I'm staying at a hostel for no, almost nothing. I'm like, well, that part sounds a little tough, but if that's what you get to go climb around in or even be at the base of, beautiful. We went to Italy. Of course, this is a legendary story within the ranks of our group. They search our van intensely. They're coming in from Switzerland, which has got a lot of junkies. And um, they don't rest until they find the weed, which they do. And then they take our, our, our merch person back to the bus and say, you have a choice. You can either give me a blowjob or give us all your money. <laughs> of course, uh, she gives them all the money. <laughs> and uh, the dude actually brings his daughters over and says, is this a band you guys that you know of? And they're like, no. Fuck them. And we get to the gig and we're all late and they're like going, wow, you guys are early. They must have found something because if they hadn't, they'd have kept you there for four times as long as they went through every single thing. So we get out to Italy. First of all, the food is fantastic. The promoters are great. They took us to wonderful a castle on our day off out in the, in the, in the Italian Alps and we had the most amazing meal. But then they tried to give us another amazing meal before the gig, which was not so good for me. But um, the problem with Italy is they treat caffeine like alcohol. And I need like buckets full, especially on the road. And then they have these piddly little yeah. things. And you have to ask for it. And I'd like, I'd be like with my road manager. He goes, well, if you want coffee, you got to go down to the bar. I'm like, but I'm dying. And so I have to go down there and beg for coffee. And I'm like going, just get me into Germany. I get over to Germany. There's the coffee. It's everywhere. Italy was fine. And they love it when you come down there because it's a little off the beaten path and not everybody goes down there. We're talking about the 80s. But, um, and they were very appreciative. But when we went into Italy, they fucked with us and they didn't stamp our passports that we were supposed to and didn't sign our carne. So trying to get out of Italy was a real pain in the ass. But we get into Germany. It's just like civilization at last. Thank God. And I realized... I, I love these motherfuckers because they have things like in the hotel saying, in the morning, be sure to go down and avail yourself of the breakfast for you shall be paying for it. I wish we got to be there for like a few days at least, though, and hit a couple more cities. Knowing that most of the humans that came before me that made me 
come from there. I'd like to see you out, wear out your welcome. But uh, okay, first of all, you got about seven, eight hours from seeing that the last time we were there for less. I was already about to piss those people off. It was a stupid tour because we were playing all these shows on the coast. And then they're like, well, you have a day off before you have to go to the UK. Why not drive eight hours in the other direction and then have a show in the UK the next day so you can drive all night? That was insane. Boy, I was so tired that I thought it was funny. And this is, again, it's like, well, you know, you're going to have to like drive overnight and get to the airport at three in the morning so that we can drive all day to Spain and then you can relax. Oh. That day in Spain, though, was it was glorious. Awesome, because that place we were, uh, Victoria and Gastaiz, is magical oh, beautiful. and beautiful. I just went everywhere. I got coffee. I walked around by myself yep. into these neighborhoods with these mansions or just into the town square that leads up all those. Like, it goes, comes down to a point then goes up. Yep. So you're walking up these little pathways and it's just so cool. Iberian, European, and Basque. Yep. And it's different. And the food's killer. The culture's chill. And it was beautiful. And we were ready for a break. Yeah, and that break was real nice because we got like a day and a half to do nothing. And you're in somewhere that beautiful and you've whooped your ass for two and a half weeks straight, just nonstop, no nights off with all these crazy goddamn Europeans. Some of these are small towns in Belgium that are tiny. What it means is in order for us to go over there, we've got to play every night. Otherwise, we're going to lose our shirts, which we probably did anyway. But the reason we go over there to do all that crap is so that we can do the festival gig. And it turned out being a good thing, though. It was a fantastic People show. People liked it. They were there. That were uh, the viewing audience. And then the rest of the bands were tripping, too. And it doesn't happen often. Like, you can toot your own horn as much as you want. But, like, when you know that something is well-received and you were there in the moment feeling it be really fucking badass and to have it be the end of something that's been arduous at times is just like very satisfying and that is when the team has won <laughs> that, exactly that's <laughs> right. when it feels the most like sports because um we do suffer through that stuff the drives are rough the close quarters get rough for you specifically the tiny little beds are a real pain in the Those ass tiny beds and i was uh really letting myself whine about it but i think that without that i needed the hatred to push because i was sick as fuck too yep. so all that hate that i built up was pretty good. Such a pain in the fucking ass. And then you get to these places and it's just like, ah, oh. I know. Then you got to sit there and wait. And of course, the other, the other part is how dangerous it is when you have dumbasses who don't understand that people drive on the wrong side of the road. I wasn't sure when I was going to bring this up. We were in Belfast and we'd played at some beautiful old church that had been turned into a venue and it really was pretty glorious looking. Ron actually had a friend in town who he knows through his learned musician circle. He was playing saxophone for I think Michael Bublé or something. And this guy came down and jammed with us on one of our songs. Actually kind of cool sounding in this old church. But I digress. At the end of the night, we're walking back and we found some fries and burgers or fish and chips or hot dog. I can't remember for the hell of me what it was. We've all gathered our booty for the night and... As we're walking towards the street, Derek turns around, quippy as ever. A big smile on his face as he near walks directly into an oncoming car. Me, being as acute as I am in regard to reflex. And always at my side. And always at Derek's side. Not at heel, as you might think, but sometimes yes. I scream. I scream, Derek! live <laughs> and at that moment he turns around and, and says how dare you try near, to save my life you're born again in his ability to live which had i not screamed that out he wouldn't currently be doing so what i'm saying is i saved derek's life from walking into a car non-coming traffic which several years beforehand chris had done s similarly with our manager but it was in one of those big red double buses in um, Newcastle, he comes bounding out into traffic. Oi, oi, oi. And Chris goes, Dennis, live. <laughs> and, and Dennis, likewise, was gifted life. So Chris and I, being the all-powerful givers of life that we are, 
have maintained the livelihood, literally, of Dennis Pulaski and Derek Boston. And, and yourselves. Which I, which, and ourselves. That's um, very inside baseball, to bring it back to sports. That's a pretty truncated version of that, too. There was a lot more crying involved. You left out the most important part, was that the reason I had lost control of my faculties is uh, because I had just discovered that the Northern Irelanders, like their UK counterparts, like to eat French fries between two pieces of bread. That's what it was. I was just trying to describe what the food was that's what it was it was french fry sandwich thing it was chip butty okay i was trying to tell them that it was some sort of hamburger or hot dog thing no now i remember our, it our, all ties in our listeners need to understand that bostrom uh embraces veganism as much as he can on the road this is true and at the end of the night when you're um when the only places that are open are fish and ship shitholes which uh he wouldn't get near and he's like going well let's see Oh, I could eat French fries and bread, so I ate nothing. He, he opted out of the one vegan option. <laughs> yeah. Well, it did have uh, beef gravy all over it. Ooh, good Lord. There's no way. You know what? The best way to eat vegan food? Covered in beef gravy. The best way to be a vegan on the road in Europe is to set it aside until you get him back home. You mean, you mean the Ron Stabinski? Well, he yeah, he Ron used to be a vegan until he started hitting the road hard and he realized he was starving to death. Well, because he also requires two to three times the amount of food to feed a regular human, even as a slight man. Yes, he'll easily eat two steaks uh, at a sitting. But going over to Ireland was like a dream come true. I'd never been to Ireland before, and we got to see... The, the southwest part of Ireland. Limerick. And it was beautiful, and it rained, and I was walked around in the rain. I was in, and we had a day off there, too, after uh, having to red-eye it over there. Then we played in Belfast and Dublin, and I got to see the difference bet between the, the, uh, the Northern Irish and the Republic of Ireland, and I was like, wow. Yeah. My um, main takeaway from Northern Ireland in our time in Belfast was that I thought to myself, this is chill. These people are pretty chill, and after the show... Some white guy with dreads and his... Maybe, no, he wasn't a white guy with dreads. It was a white woman with yeah, dreads. Yeah, I remember her. I was ex explaining to them that the best way to curb knife violence yeah. is by giving everybody guns, which I thought was a pretty funny take to make fun of America and yeah. us being Americans and like, ha, 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 get it? And this asshole makes a fucking deal about it. And I mean, I'm very clearly joking. Not nothing. You can't misconstrue it. It's a definitely kick myself in the own balls kind of joke. So I start telling her, oh, I'm really sorry. Did you want to hand me a checklist of shit I can and can't talk about when you come up to me? I was like, because. No, 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 no. She came up to you to try to get some. The dude showed up later, and then you had d diffused the situation where his uh, ratty-ass girlfriend was obviously coming on to you oh. by making jokes about guns, oh, Yeah, which was a much more safe okay, uh, discussion. Okay. You're right. That is totally what happened. I kind of put that one out of my head because... Understandable. That is funny. You're totally right. That's weird. That was a, gr a great moment. That yeah. is totally what happened. Holy shit, here I have... She I've, was all drunk and shit. I've she's rewritten like, this in my head to just be about some be me being accosted. But the truth was, first of all, I was treated like a piece of goddamn meat by a stranger. Hey, listen, I don't go up on stage and shake my shit just for you to throw dollars at me. This is my art. So when you approach me after the show, I'm not just a cheap fuck for you to jump on, okay? I am a human being, and my body is a fucking temple. <laughs> 